the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, good afternoon, Bay Area. Well, it's been a quite a week for me here in San Jose. Um, on Sunday evening, I was at home and feeling a little bit punk. And, um, you know, I, I've had colds before. I've had the flu before. And this felt like, kind of like that, but not like that at the same time. And I just went, wait a minute, I better test myself. So I took out one of those home test kits that came from the government. And I stood there at the kitchen counter and prepared it, shoved the swab up my nose on both sides, swirled it around, and then stuck it in and then put it on the test. And within seconds, one line appeared and within a minute, the other line appeared, and it was basically, guess what, Bob? You're pregnant. No. Bob, you have COVID. And I went, oh, heck. And I immediately told my wife, I had a wife and one of my daughters in the kitchen, I, and I said, I just tested positive for COVID. I'm going to my office. And I walked out of the room, went down, got some clothes, uh, grabbed a couple of other things and headed out the door. And I have spent this entire week basically living out of my office here in San Jose. I go, I've been going home once a day to shave, shower, and change clothes, and then I come back to the office. Fortunately, my office is a pretty good size. I do have a sofa in my waiting room, and that has become my bed since Sunday night. And uh, I have a little kitchenette, which actually is like a little laboratory room because this was a dental office I'm in. And I have my little dorm fridge and microwave there. And so I had food and water and a place to sleep. Ooh, yeah, okay. Uh, it was kind of like being like a bachelor again, which... Uh, uh, which really sucked. I, I don't enjoy being a bachelor. It's been many, many years since I was a bachelor. And uh, I much prefer being um, a married person, especially a married person with kids at home that I love to see every day. And um, it's been uh, quite a ride. I never got too sick, but I was certainly sick enough that I did not want to inflict myself on anyone else around me. Uh, I did get a lot done in my office. 
but there was a lot of downtime that was kind of boring. Binge-watched a fair amount on Netflix. Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen it, the series Lock and Key is really well done and very, very intriguing. I'm almost done with it. That's right, Netflix. And um, so that's what I've been doing this week. How's your week been? Uh, the good news is I tested negative. Literally, I just finished watching the test before I went on the air, and it came back negative. So I figure one more negative test tomorrow, because I'm going to give it like another 24 hours and then test again. If I get a second negative test, then I'll be able to kind of pack up my few belongings and go back home to be with my family, wearing a mask for probably the next 10 days, even around my family, because I, I don't want to risk getting any of them infected. And I'll kind of stay away from them, but at least I'll be able to see them and talk with them. And uh, and in retrospect, I, I got off pretty easy here. I'm one of those high-risk people because I'm an old guy. And um, fortunately, I will say that my doctor immediately prescribed me this, uh, I think it's called Paxlovid. It's the same antivirals that President Biden was prescribed when he got covid and uh, it it's pretty remarkable stuff. It's it's kind of like Theraflu, but for COVID. And it really, really seems to have knocked this out. I still have a lingering cough that uh, is kind of in the deep in the chest now and then. During the show today, if I start coughing, you'll know the reason why. It's because I am on the tail end and coming out of COVID. Did suffer a little bit of brain fog this week. But the good news is I was able to actually have a number of meetings with people on the telephone and through Zoom. Uh, and I'm still available to do those. I will probably give it another week in my office um, without people coming in until I know that I'm really clear before I open my office up to in-person appointments and meetings again. So if you've just been dying to book an appointment with me and come into my office next week, that's probably not going to happen. It'll likely be not until September after Labor Day that my office will open up again for in-person appointments, which I prefer, by the way. So here I am uh, in my office where I broadcast from and uh, feeling significantly better. Uh, but I know that I, I still have these lingering symptoms. Not too bad, but it's enough to be uncomfortable, enough to uh, wake me up in the middle of the night coughing like an, like an idiot. And uh, I just wanted to let you all know out there, you, you didn't know I was sick. Now you know that I was sick and that I'm now testing negative. And uh, I'm a big fan in negative that actually means it's a positive result. Um, you know, in this case, a positive means that's a negative result. It means you've got, you have the virus. In my case, I'm negative now. I hope to be just as negative, if not even more negative, 24 hours from now, because I would like to be able to go home and be with my family. Um, and also, just as an aside, my cats. Um, we have kitty cats at home, and 
Uh, I know they missed me because I went by this morning in order to shave and shower and get changed. And I was able to talk with my wife from the bottom of the staircase. I did not go up to see her. And a couple of my cats came to me and meowed at me. They were kind of glad to see me, I think. I I did not meow back. I'm not one of those kind of uh, owners. Uh, but I do talk to them, and I know they talk to me in their own way. They, I think they assume that I can understand them, and sometimes I can. They just have a certain way of meowing or looking that, that I know what they're really trying to communicate, and I could tell that at least these two cats really have missed me this week. I think they wondered where where Dad went. So that's enough. Uh, I've managed to pretty much burn off the first segment of the show today, but I thought it was important to let you all know out there, if you test positive and you're in a high-risk category, and by that I mean, you know, if you are elderly, if you have comorbidities, don't sit on your hands. Don't wait. Uh, get yourself a test, and if you test positive, go and get these antivirals into yourself started right away. Um, my real concern in all this was that I might develop a pneumonia uh, because uh, I've had pneumonia a couple of times in the last six or seven years. Never developed really badly. I caught it in time, and that's what I've been watching for mostly, to see if there's any chest pain or side pain or things like that indicating that this has turned into or developed into a pneumonia. So don't play with this. Um, you think you have it, get tested. If you're positive, then get on it right away. And uh, hopefully you'd have the same um, outcome that I've had, which is weathered the storm, came through pretty well on the other side. And um, and that's, uh, I wondered, took two and a half years for me to finally catch this, at least be aware that I'd caught it. And I'm grateful that I didn't get more ill uh, as a result. So this is the first break of the show. When we come back, I'll start the show of Plan Your Estate Radio with questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and we'll start after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to start the show now with questions and comments from around the state of California. I'm working through this stack of questions and situations, and I'm finding some of them are really out in left field. They have, uh, they really have nothing at all to do with the area of estate planning, but people are asking these questions in an estate planning forum. So it's kind of strange. Okay. This one here, all right, this is majorly convoluted, so we're not going to touch that. Okay. All right, out of San Mateo, California. My mother recently passed away. Her home was left to her four children, including me. My brother and I have been living in her home and caring for her for years. We wanted to have some necessary major repairs done before putting the house on the market. Our siblings agreed to having the repairs done, but want us to pay them rent. 
her house is in a trust, and I am the successor trustee. Would my brother and I have to pay rent to our siblings if we continue to live in our mother's house while repairs are made? It's a simple question, but it could be a very complicated answer. First of all, the rent would not be paid. If the rent's going to be paid anywhere, it's going to be paid to the to the parent's trust. And then presumably divided up uh, four ways uh, between the four children who are the beneficiaries. Not rent being paid to just the two children who are not residing in the property. Uh, an argument could be made that living in the property while repairs are made is actually appropriate uh, as a way of safeguarding the property. Uh, having it occupied makes it safer than having it sit there vacant while repairs are made. Uh, vacant invites someone to break in and and take over and squat in the property, and then they have to be evicted. Uh, vacancy also can lead to more things like vandalism and and similar. If the property is occupied, there's less likely that's less likely to be the case. I would also want to know where's the money coming from for these major repairs. Are the two siblings living in the house? Are they fronting the money to make the major repairs, or is it uh, mom's money that's being used to make make the major repairs. So there is not a crystal clear um, answer to the question, would you have to pay rent? Um, I think it's really, um, uh, if rent should be paid, it's paid to the trust, not to the other siblings. And I can't sit here and definitively say that they have to be paying rent in order to stay there if they are actually um, caring for the property, maintaining it, and then maybe supervising the repairs at the same time. I would think that is uh, that could be of equal consideration to them paying some rent. I mean, otherwise it sits there vacant, and um, they're not collecting any rent at all if it's vacant, obviously. But there's a downside to it being vacant while they're making the repairs, as I've kind of uh, already outlined right there. So I don't know that there's a clear answer on that one right there. I, I think these siblings need to actually work out the details um, between themselves and uh, don't fuss over maybe a couple of months' rent while repairs are made. Um, especially since the the uh, siblings that stayed there and cared for the parents, they might actually be able to assert a claim against the trust for services rendered, uh, maybe offset by the value of the rent for when they live there, but they might be able to demonstrate that they have some claims against the trust to be reimbursed for the effort that they put in caring for the parents. Uh, in other words, my suggestion is uh, don't go down the path of fighting over a couple of months' rent. Uh, focus on getting the property repaired and then get that property uh, sold, if that's what the intention is, so that everything can be divided up and the families can go their separate ways. One of the things I pride myself 
on as being practical about many things like this. I think you'll find that um, if you had a chance to talk with uh, many of the people over the years who have come and consulted with me, I will kind of often tell them, here's the legal theory you could go on. Here's maybe the effect of what was done. Maybe you do have rights, but you need to ask yourself the, the major question. If I assert these rights that I do have, is that going to create more complication or more problems? And is it going to end up costing me more than if I let it slide and um, and kind of don't worry about it, don't make a big deal of it? I have seen over the years that a lot of times people are willing to go to court and they're willing to fight over things, even though in the process of doing that, uh, they end up spending more, creating more upset for themselves and their families. And uh, and generally, at the end of it all, even if they, quote, win, often they find that the win is not satisfying at all, and they actually really lost in the process. So I suggest to people, oftentimes, you might have legal rights, but you might want to consider letting it slide because I don't know that it's worth fighting about it. Um, uh, and I have had a lot of people that have decided, yeah, it's really not worth fighting about it. If they do want to fight about it, then I will refer them to someone who can actually uh, represent them and go fight about it. Um, I don't do that myself. I have found I've been a litigator in the past um, in a couple, three areas of law, not in, in probate law or trust law. And I have found that it is not necessarily um, the most enjoyable thing to do to be a litigation attorney. Uh, I actually did not enjoy it at all. And I finally got out of it completely probably well over 30 years ago. And I would never go back to it because it was just too stressful and uh, too um, upsetting to my insides. Um, I don't like fighting. I especially don't like fighting in court. Um, and it's it, so I just try to avoid that. I work on solving problems not fighting over things or creating problems in the first place. That's kind of my approach as an attorney, and I'm sticking with it. So we're coming up on the second break of our show today. And uh, when I come back, I'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio and more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, So I wanted to thank you for joining me today. I still have another half hour of the show to go, but when we come back after the break, we'll continue with Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman, broadcasting from San Jose, California. Talk with you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney, Bob Bergman. On AM 1220, KDOW. Hi, welcome back. We're uh, here in the second half of the show today. And if you just tuned in, I did my COVID report at the beginning of the show. 
I actually tested positive for COVID on Sunday evening and spent the last five days sheltering in place in my office in San Jose, where fortunately I have a fairly comfortable sofa in my waiting room and a dormitory-style refrigerator and microwave back in a little kitchenette. And I was able to, to get some foodstuffs and water and everything, and I've kind of been living in my bachelor pad here in San Jose. It has not been a fun week. Um, I really miss my family. And uh, the good news is I tested negative just before the show started. And uh, one more negative test, and my wife agrees I can come on home as long as I wear a mask for the next 10 days. Willing to wear three masks for the next 10 days if I can be home with my family. So continuing on with more questions and comments from around the state of California, let's go with one out of San Francisco. And a person's asking, uh, says, my brother applied for conservatorship for my mother. Is there a way to look up if it was approved or denied? Well, assuming that the hearing has been held, and it sounds like this person didn't bother to go to the conservatorship hearing. Um, that would mean if you have paperwork from the hearing, you can, one, go down to the court, and you can look up the case number at the court, and if it was granted, you could get a copy of the order, the conservatorship order, that would demonstrate it's been granted. And uh, depending on the county, I think San Francisco, you might be able to do that. You can go online. Many counties, you can go online and look up uh, a case by the person's name or the case number and then see a listing of what kinds of actions have been taken in reference to that case. What were the hearings? Were any orders entered? Stuff like that. Um, most places, um, San Mateo being an exception, you can't get copies of the documents that were filed, but San Mateo County, in, unless they change that, you could actually go find the documents that were filed and download copies so you could have a copy of everything uh, for your records. Something I really like about San Mateo County. I think every county should do that. It can be very, very difficult time-consuming and expensive and, you know, taking even time out from your day if you have to go to a court, stand in line, look up a case, and then request copies of things. Some cases, they can't give you the copies right away. You'll have to pay for it, and then they'll maybe mail it to you. So that's not real convenient. Um, I like San Mateo County for that reason, because you can actually get access to those things 24 hours a day, download them directly from the court's website. But yeah, you could check the website um, for court filings, and there's often information there about cases. Or you could go to the court itself and look up the case and then request a copy of things while you're there. So there is a way to uh, look up and see if a conservatorship was approved or denied. Okay, out of Ridgecrest, California. We have um, someone saying, let's see, a piece of land 
was inherited by my husband from his mom. This land is located in the desert area <coughs> where there's no house built, just a piece of land about two acres. Now that my husband passed away, do I need to transfer that on my name or can I pass it to my stepkids who are all grown up? Um, does the land need to be assessed? What should I do? Well, if the land is in the husband's name, then the question becomes, what's the value of those two acres of land out on the desert? If it's a low enough value, then an, an affidavit uh, can be filed, an affidavit of small estate for real estate can be filed um, in the probate court in that county and have the property transferred to whoever would be the husband's heirs under the law, because I'm assuming he had no will. If he had no will and it was his separate inheritance, legally it would be divided between his spouse, and this person mentioned stepkids, plural. So if there's two or more children of the person that died, they would share two-thirds of the, the property his wife would get the other third of the property for a total of 100% of the property. So, um, but if it's valued higher than a certain amount, they'll have to go through the whole probate process to get that property turned over. So this person needs to determine what the value of the property is and then consult with an attorney and get assistance with doing the paperwork to clear the title. It sounds like two acres in the desert, probably does not have tremendously high value. And the small estate uh, for real estate, excuse me, affidavit for a small real estate value, that that could probably be used in a situation like this. Okay, here from La, La Habra, California. My father recently passed away and did not have a will. My stepmother is looking to sell the house. Now, it doesn't say, it, it didn't say their house, it said the house. So the question becomes right there, is the house uh, owned just by, was it owned just by the father that recently passed away, or was it owned by the father and the stepmother, uh, either jointly or as community property? Uh, the person asks, are me and my siblings entitled to a portion of the money made by the sale? It literally has everything to do with how the property was owned by the father. If he owned it as tenants in common with his stepwife, then that means his half interest passes intestate. And it's similar to the last question I just talked about. Since there's siblings, plural, Two-thirds of his half-interest would go to his children. One-third of his half-interest would go to his wife, the stepmother. But if they owned it as joint tenants or as community property, it's 100% hers. And the siblings are not entitled to any of the money from the sale of that property because they have no inheritance rights in that property. So that's kind of the short answer right there. Okay. 
so out of Compton, California, straight out of Compton, says house was in a trust and I inherited the house. I do not want my sister to stay in the house. She does not want to pay rent. So how do I get her out of the house? Well, if she's not a co-owner of the house, meaning that she did not inherit the house in any way, and you're the only one that inherited the house, and she refuses to move, well, I think you really know what the answer is. Yeah, it's called eviction. You'll have to go to an eviction attorney there, down there in Compton area. Find out if there's any special rules in effect there uh, for evictions. Find out if there's still an eviction moratorium going on down there in Los Angeles County. I don't know if there is or not. I don't keep up on those things. I'm not a landlord. And then you have to go through the process of evicting your sister from the property. If she won't move voluntarily, you'll have to legally throw her out of the house in order to get the property back. Uh, Her and anybody else living there. There may be multiple people living in the property who are not your sister. You need to try and identify as many of them as you can and make sure they all get served with legal notices to uh, to uh, basically leave the property. And if they don't leave, you have to file what's called an unlawful detainer. Uh, and, and when that is granted by the court, then you'll be able to have the sheriff come out. If they haven't moved yet, the sheriff can actually physically move them out of the property. And you can take possession of the property. You should have a locksmith standing by and immediately turn around and change the locks on the place. And um, and then uh, the property is yours to do with that as you wish. So that's that's the deal right there. Okay. I think I've got time basically for about one more before the next break. And oh, this is an interesting one. Greenfield, California. My friend's grandmother passed away and his sister were taking care of her before she passed away. Um, His uncle is the other person who was on the mortgage. The uncle's threatening to evict my friend. Does my friend have any rights to the house? He never signed any lease or any papers or documents. The uncle hasn't served anything to my friend either. What are my friend's options? Um, Okay, asking, you know, I took care of of grandma. Do I have any rights to grandma's home? Not really. Uh, Not unless you're grandma's heir. It sounds like the uncle is probably the heir and is going to be entitled to the home. Um, I wish there was another result. Sounds like the uncle may not necessarily be the best person in the world, but the law is the law, and I am the law. I'm sorry, that was my really bad, weak Judge Fred impression. Come back to you after the break. This is Attorney Bob Burke. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. I welcome back to the final segment of this exciting, dynamic show today. I'm sorry, I'm in a kind of a strange mood today. When, when you spend 
virtually 24 hours a day for several days in the same place with um, virtually no human contact of any kind, it it uh, it can kind of make you a little goofy sometimes. And I'm in kind of a goofy mood right now. Part of it is exultation at testing negative for COVID um, about an hour ago. And um, I'm excited. It means that in another day or so, I should be able to go home to be with my family and uh, kind of get back to a little bit more of a normal life. And it'll be nice to uh, sleep in my own home again instead of sleeping on a sofa in my waiting room at my office. Um, it's, it's, it's highly overrated, shall we say. So I've got, um, looks like I have a f- three or four more questions and comments from around the state to cover today. And, and then we'll kind of wrap things up at the end here. Here is something that's not really an estate planning question, but it it's a, a lease question, and I think I can probably answer it. It said, how can an heir or successor disagree with binding effect language in a lease. In other words, this lease binds the heirs, successors, and assigns of both parties. Person said, my daughter signed a lease. I'm a successor. I do not want to be responsible for her debts. I did not agree to be responsible. How can I disavow this action? First of all, that's not what that phrase actually is referring to. It means that the terms and conditions of the lease are binding on heirs, successors, and assigns of the parties. It doesn't mean that the financial obligations of the lease pass on to those people. That So that maybe just kind of the short answer right there. Um, that's pretty standard language. That language has been in leases for uh, forever. And I would be very surprised to see a lease that did not have language like that. It's kind of standard language you'll find in contracts everywhere. And what it's meant to do is say that, hey, just because this person died and you've now taken over, it doesn't mean that you get to just ignore this contract or ignore this lease. For example, if someone sells a house and the house is in escrow, and before the escrow can close, the person who sold the house dies, it doesn't mean that the sale contract just goes away because that sale contract will have a provision like this, which says that whoever takes over as the heir or a successor trustee or whatever it is has the obligation to complete the sale. They can't just say, oh, well, the seller died, so sales off, we keep the property. doesn't work that way. Um, that's really what it means by its binding. Uh, you can't just, um, uh, even, for example, if you sign a lease and your landlord dies, it doesn't mean that somehow your lease is invalid. It's enforceable against whoever takes over ownership of the property. So if you had a lease that said you get to live there for two years as long as you pay rent and then the landlord dies a year in, 
the new owner can't come in and say, you know, oh, well, okay, uh, I'm the new owner, he's dead, so the lease is no good anymore. Uh, Just even if it was a new buyer of the property, they buy subject to that lease. A buyer of the property would be considered an assign, um, an assign of the original owner. The heir, that's pretty straightforward. The successor, that would be a similar thing, like a successor trustee or a uh, corporation that buys another corporation and the corporation that was purchased had a contract. It's, they're still subject to that contract. The, the new corporation subject to that contract. So I don't know if that kind of, uh, kind of answers that right there. So here is um, oh here is a here's a Hegstat situation out of Victorville. I wish I had some real way of reaching out to this family. I might be able to help them. Okay, so person said I'm one of two beneficiaries of my mom's trust. She had a pour over will. My lawyer is telling me that her mobile home was in the trust due to the pour over will. Well, yes and no. I'm informed by escrow that my mom did not transfer title to the trust. I've been signing paperwork as trustee until I was informed not to sign escrow paperwork as trustee because it was never transferred. Escrow is slated to close tomorrow. I don't know what I need to do. Any recommendations will be appreciated ASAP. Thank you. Well, that's kind of your classic Hegstat situation right there. If you could prove that the intent was that the property be in the trust, you could go to court and have the court sign a court order declaring it to be in the trust. Depending on where you're at, that could be a pretty quick process or it might be a long, drawn-out, bitter process. But that's part of what I do for people is Hegstat petitions going to court to fix those problems. Well, we're at the end of our show today. It went by really fast. I'm feeling much better now. I'm glad I talked, even though I was coughing a couple of times during the show, that my voice should come back completely in the future. But I'll talk with you next Friday, live on the air. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and we'll talk with you again next week. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.